Three, two, one. Hi and welcome to Unaware by Bee Physiology. We're not film critics, we're not philosophers, and we are not living with a disability. We do, however, have a very unique insight into the lives of the people that we work with. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. What's up, y'all? My name is AJ. And I'm Harry. And we are Bee Physiology. Welcome to Unaware, the official podcast of Bee Physiology. Uh, This is our first series titled Be Real. Harry, you lovely man, could you explain to the people what Be Real is in reference to? We're going to be breaking down particular characters, scenarios and disabilities in movies and then thinking about how they relate to our professional life as exercise physiologists. Do they check out or are they a bit off? Yeah, and that's why we welcome your feedback as well. So if we are a little bit off, which we certainly expect it at times, uh, by all means, please reach out, please enlighten us because this is very much a cathartic experience that allows us to grow as EPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we obviously want to be better in the field and we also want to give an understanding of what we see in the field. So that is, I suppose, the the, the biggest purpose of this yeah. podcast. So, so we obviously don't know everything. We're here to learn and we come from the angle as professionals. And look, we're not philosophers. We're not living with disability. We're not film critics. However, we do have a very particular view of looking into the people into the lives of the people that we work with so we obviously do this to help us in our practice but also to help us in our everyday lives moving forward yeah and i mean just quickly to explain what we do as eps if that is a little bit lost on you and i'll make it brief because we've spoken about it a few times before but Mm -hmm. we are essentially using exercise as a form of treatment for disease, injury, illness, whatever it may be. So exercise is essentially our medicine. We are big advocates for the way that exercise can be used to increase somebody's capacity, capacity, function, function, yeah. and quality of life. Health, that was yeah. actually what I was trying to think of, yeah. and I lost it. But Harry, Harry Chased saved up a me. Few. Yeah, <laughs> few there in front. My hero. <laughs> Cool. So I guess we should get straight into it. Um, So this is episode five. Yes. Today, welcome to episode five, where we will be having a look at Please Stand By, which was a film released in 2017. It stars Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning? Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. Yep, Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. It's also got (laughs) Alice Eve uh, and Tony Collette, who I think is Australian. Yes. She is Australian. Yep. You know what? Just to go off topic very quickly, I hear her name a lot, and I know that she's famous, but also I can't think of like any other Tony Collette films. But I know that I have seen her. She's huge. I know. This is AJ. what I mean. Like, as in, I know that she's huge. I'm the one under the rock. <laughs> I'm the one that knocks. Well, you need to work on yourself a little yeah, bit yeah. first, and then hopefully by episode six, <laughs> yeah, we you're a little bit more well-rounded <laughs> as a person. Okay. <laughs> Um, so this movie is about a young girl, 21, 20, 20 year old, 21 year old, I do believe 21 year old girl, um, named, uh, Wendy, 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 her name's Wendy. She is living with autism and first things off the, just a quick summary of the movie, maybe, or like a synopsis. She sees an advertisement for a Star Trek writing, uh, competition where the, the prize is $100,000, I think. And she needs to get in her script before a certain time. And she escapes from where she's living. Being housed. Assist- yes. uh, housed, yeah. Assisted living area where she's living with a lot of other people with... I don't know if it's autism that all of them have, but 
you know, there's a few other people living in the same kind of dorm house um, setup, which seems pretty cool. And they have a caretaker who is um, uh, Tony Collette, also named Scotty in the film, um, which I think that Wendy likes because Scotty's a character in Star Trek as well. So I think she has a good connection with gotcha. her. Um, but uh, yeah, so she is writing a script. She she realizes that she can't post it anymore and she has to actually leave to go to LA and hand it into Paramount Studios. Cool. I think that's a pretty good synopsis. I'm curious. Do you like Star Trek? I mean... Have you watched it? Not a lot of it, hey. Gotcha. It's just like it's like ju- I'm, I just missed the boat on it. I think right. I was just a little bit too young. If you just said yes, I wouldn't have been shocked at all. Like I, oh no, it I, seems like, like I thing. love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I could tell you anything about Star Wars. I knew that you like Star Wars. <laughs> you know what? And this is again going off topic. Go. No, you know what? I'm. Not <laughs> I just realized that Star Wars, if you really break it down as a title, is like an awful title. Like Star Wars. Awful title. <laughs> Great movies. War in Fantastic. the Stars, man. <laughs> yeah. War of the Stars. Is a good <laughs> it would title. Be cool, right? Yeah. Well, I've already I've already lazy. contacted them and <laughs> yeah. they pushed it pushed back on it for a while now. So um yeah, yeah. It's a uh it's definitely a series that I kind of missed. I watched like the new movies and stuff and they brought out Star Trek. Um the Star Trek movies and new ones. Um but yeah, no, I, I don't know a whole but lot about it. But you're not entering any writing competitions. Yeah, generally no. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> right. I'm not. Right not for Star Trek at least. Cool. We'll well, I mean, I think one of the first things that we can say about uh, Police Stand By, and as Harry said, uh, Wendy in this film is living in. I wouldn't necessarily call it call it a facility, but she's. I think the term is uh, assisted disability living. Right. And. Or independent disability living. It would be worth saying and again not a gp or psychologist that is equipped to make any sort of firm diagnosis here but Mm. based on what um i saw in the film and then what i know of autism within my work with with my personal experience uh wendy is i suppose has a pretty significant uh case when it comes to autism yeah and part of that is the fact that she lives Outside of her own home. I mean, a lot of people with autism... Uh, number Keep going. Uh, number one, you probably wouldn't pick up on it immediately. In fact, a lot of times you may not pick up on it at all. And certainly, in my experience, I've never come across a case where... Um, well, that's not true. It's not that I've never come across a case, but a majority of the cases that I see, uh, people are more than fine living in their own homes and being cared for by their own parents. Yeah. yeah, yes. yeah. So... She definitely is to the point where her sister doesn't trust her with a new baby. Yes. And the whole kind of movie kind of centers around Wendy wanting to be seen as someone who's responsible and can help take care of a baby or meet a baby. Because she's actually quite um, overjoyed that she's an auntie. So... Yeah. Um, I think that might be a struggle for a lot of people, uh, I suppose, with any sort of disability is not being, uh, I suppose, treated on account of the disability alone and being able to have the same responsibilities that someone that is neurotypical yeah, might yeah, have. Exactly right. Yeah. I think the first kind of instance that you notice that Wendy is not acting typically is her eye contact. Yeah. So she's not 
looking directly in the eye. She's usually staring at the chest of the person that she's talking to or she's staring down at her own feet. Um, in your experiences, or actually you want to go into maybe some of those spectrums that uh, autism is diagnosed by. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start by saying as well that um, you might have some sort of... Uh, and understandably, there might be some confusion in terms of where autism lies with respect to uh, Asperger's. Because for a long time, there was a differential diagnosis. Asperger's was considered a, you know, a, a completely different, I suppose, uh, syndrome to uh, autism itself. But, and forgive me because I'll probably have the year wrong, I think it's only in the last decade or so where Asperger's uh, has essentially been removed as a diagnosis and it is now basically just another, I guess, plot point on what is the autism spectrum. So we've all heard of the spectrum before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you can imagine, that is essentially like a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a quantified standing of yeah. where somebody sits from a neural standpoint or from beha- from a behavioral standpoint. Mm. But Asperger's at one point was what we would know today as high-functioning autism. So Asperger's is, or somebody who was initially diagnosed with Asperger's is somebody who has some, uh, you know, representation of on the spectrum yeah on, on the spectrum there yep. is you know a i suppose a low level at which they uh, sort of demonstrate these typical behaviors of somebody that might be on the spectrum but what are some of those behaviors well for, as harry said number mm-hmm. one would be like eye contact or ability to perceive social cues mm-hmm. uh, so verbal and non-verbal language yep. sarcasm um, and yes, jokes and stuff like that definitely or? and I, I will talk about this in my experience because uh as an ep and as a human being i've definitely made errors uh <laughs> one that I very much regret uh, but ones that were essential for my learning curve as an EP yep. and, and one of those I, I will get to soon is that you know verbal and non-verbal communication and the way that your body language or your words are sometimes taken in are completely different to the way that you uh, mean them okay right. and again we need to take mm. into account the fact that I'll go through a little bit of a list here of some of the spectrums but someone who is at a low level with respect to function, might still be okay in that area. The way that these are sort of listed out is that people will sit on a spectrum for each of these components, and from that point there, overall, I, I, they are essentially um, lie somewhere on a bigger spectrum, on like an aggregate spectrum. Right. Have I explained that very poorly? I was understanding at the start, then you lost me to towards the end. So we're looking at things like verbal and nonverbal communication or things yep. like eye contact. So that would be one area that you would look at when it comes to autism. Yep. Uh, somebody who, you know, lacks t- interest in taking part in like social uh, activities like or, or to experiences school or with others, or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, having sustained interest in a particular topic. I think that's something that you, a lot of people sort of think like of. Like obsessive when it comes- interest type thing. Yeah. So yeah. some people will get really obsessed with, Puzzles or... Dinosaurs. Um, yeah, dinosaurs. Yep. Um, things like that. There's, you know, it's, you know, a really strict sort Star of... Star like, Trek. In <laughs> yeah, this, I Star guess, Trek. In this, yeah. yeah, so in this case, in yeah. Wendy's case, it's Star Trek. Yep. Um, there's also like a strict adherence to 
uh, like routine. Mm. Um, so being really thrown by a change in routine, which again, I think is something that comes up in this movie oh, as big well. Time, yep. um, repetitive behaviors. There, there are a few more and that, that you know, are worth going through, but I would essentially just be reading a list out. Yeah, yeah. Um, my point is, is essentially that somebody might be relatively adequate with respect to, well, sorry, not adequate, but typical with respect to their, how they behave in social situations, but yep. they might also have like a pretty insane interest or pretty intense interest in, you know a particular topic yep. so in that I, in that aspect of autism yep. they rate high quality on, uh, rate quite highly on the spectrum yep. and in another they may rate quite, quite low. low yeah okay you can rate quite low in some of those even if you are autistic yes but you can rate you quite highly as well so it's some of those spectrums that you're talking about you can have three up really high you know, two in the middle and two down low or something like that. And that's just your individualized spectrum. Yeah, and I may have even done like a poor job of explaining that in every aspect in the sense that it's not necessarily always high or low. Mm. You know, like you could have a look at, say, someone that's got a very keen interest in one thing and then someone who's completely disinterested uh, in general. Like that's not normal and this isn't normal. Right. What you're looking for is somewhere in the middle. So, gotcha, okay. um, yeah, I probably didn't explain that well enough at the start, but I'm glad I remembered yeah, to correct myself in that regard. No, Regardless, when we look Easier. at that, so that is autism. It's a you know, I suppose a collection of those symptoms and how they uh, manifest in a child or an adult. Whereas Asperger's, as it was known, is essentially someone who shows, uh, I suppose, slight um, affect with respect to some of these symptoms, yeah. but nothing so much that high um, functioning. High functioning. Yeah. Right. One thing uh, that you know mentioned is preparation and how important that is to. It could possibly be, I should say, with someone who is autistic or has autism. I had a client who would come into the, the place I was working, the clinic, at the same time on Thursday. He would walk into the door at the same time on Thursday, 3.29, come through the door. He'd wait out the front if it wasn't that time yet. And I do believe if he didn't get there in time, he just wouldn't come. Really? Yeah. He would come through the door and then he would go straight to the bathroom, the locker room, put his bag down and then jump onto the uh, cross trainer, do the cross training for a certain amount of minutes, jump off, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. He, I do believe at the start he was very, he was a bit more rigid and he didn't like it when the machines weren't available. But as time kind of went on, I think he loosened up to the idea of maybe switching the order of his workout around with the i think the guidance and help of the carer he had always had the same carer as well which is great but just that strict you know and you knew it was him every time come through the door you could just look <laughs> at the, down, the bell yeah, going ding, and, like, and you're like, it's him and this kind of behavior is kind of what happens with wendy in the movie in terms yeah. of She's scheduled everything out and, you know, they go through their schedule at the start of the movie for the day and then they're doing that for the day. Well, yeah. when you talk about that scheduling as well, can I ask how you think of that or what you think of that as an EP? Did you find that that made your job easier in some ways and harder in others? Was it quite and like difficult to then, you know, try and uh, elicit some sort of progressive overload at some point? Yes. Yes and no. I think it's it's good that he was there 
Like it was good that this is part of his schedule. And as much as, you know, I'll, you know, you could throw in something every so often, but as much as you could, uh, you just want him to keep on coming back, you know, keep on coming back, do the exercise because, you know, it's, if you're not being so, if you have a hard time being social, you're not going to be in team sports. It's, it's hard for you to go to a gym where all these other people are going. There's already kind of things stacked up against you that make living a healthy, active lifestyle harder for you to begin with. So just, you know, having that, that schedule, I think, was probably a good thing. You know, looking back at it now, at, at times you get frustrated as a professional for sure. But, you know, I think it was good. Mm. Yeah, well... Um, good point. Good I, question. I had a point to make on the back of that. Uh, which is where you were talking about how it is difficult for somebody who you know struggles in social situations to then have the same amount of access to um, you know what what is a physically active lifestyle yep. or physically active activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is one aspect of it where you know essentially the rules don't change for anybody with any disability or any condition, and that is that you know you need to be active to maintain a healthy lifestyle. But on top of that, with respect to autism, uh, there is research that shows that. Exercise, I think moderate to vigorous intensity exercise, vigorous, vigorous intensity exercise is capable of, you know, rendering some sort of effect on, you know, hyperactivity or some of the, I suppose, positive symptoms, which to explain very quickly, a negative symptom is something that is taken away and a positive symptom is something that is added. So if somebody becomes aggressive, that is an added symptom where if somebody symptom. loses motivation i suppose that would be a negative, negative system yeah okay right um but yes yeah, so it does have a, a you know an effect on that so exercise is not just important when it comes to maintaining a healthy lifestyle but it actually will help to i suppose like emotional regulation or something like yes, that or yeah, emotional regulation would be a perfect example of something that can help uh that exercise may help regulate yeah right okay. yes okay so because it it quells the highs and the lows, maybe. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I uh, even recently had started working with um, a new client and he was quite, he's quite young. So a lot of the feedback that I'll get is through his, uh, his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember even after the first or second session, uh, the feedback that I got was the child was an absolute dream after I'd left. Uh, and <laughs> that's not because I did anything uh, particularly You're so impressive yeah, yeah, with you, my <laughs> exercise. I literally just burned some energy with, this, with the, uh, the client or with the child, sorry, for yep. a good hour. Yep. And that in itself was enough to help regulate some of these behaviors. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Makes again, perfect sense, not really. Not tooting my yeah. own horn. It's, it's giving a perfect demonstration of uh, what being active can do for someone. Yeah, that's awesome. One more thing on that uh, routine or scheduling thing as well. I, had, I, had, I have another client who, if you play music, it has to be the particular song and sometimes for the particular amount of time as well. As soon as it goes over a particular time, like the first verse and the first chorus, that's it. Really? You know, like, turn it off, you know? And <laughs> what's, the, um, what's the response at this point? It's just complete lack of attention. And because the, the next thing that that client is doing is turning the music off. That's what they're doing. Right. You know, they're not doing anything else except that one thing. So, yeah, I mean... 
Just turn the music off. It sounds like me at a party. <laughs> yeah. If I'm in charge of the ox court, <laughs> we get one verse. All right, we're turning the whole thing off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and in the movie as well, I noticed that Wendy's mood was very affected by music as well. She had an iPod the whole time and she was, you know, listening to the iPod to shut off maybe the external world in a way. So I don't know if if other people have this uh, happen to them, but, you know, if some with autism, do they like listening to music and kind of shutting off all the external sounds? There was a young fellow that I used to work with as well. He was nonverbal, had autism, and he, you know, we had to turn the music down in the the clinic. He was doing like a... uh, a cable machine or something like that and the weights smashed that would really kind of set him off and scare him even and he would just kind of drop everything and walk away right i was gonna cut in there and the difficulty for us there as eps is you know we have a clinical goal and obviously Mm. you know a lot of the time it takes the full 60 minutes in a session to get through everything that we want to get through so these momentary lapses that are essentially controllable like you are in charge of the music to some extent you can moderate how quickly a weight drops if you're there and quickly and doing your best and understanding your client and being able to you know control what you can i suppose Mm goes a long way to having a successful session. Yeah, it well one thing in particular with the dropping the weight thing, if you were if you were kind of spotting the cable, he'd be like and just start letting go of the thing altogether and then you'd just be doing it. <laughs> You're like, oh, damn it, you know? And he'd just be kind of resting his hands on the handle. Like, and you're like, huh. You got me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, obviously have to try something else like put something in between something soft between the plates so and smash together because <laughs> he was just like oh sweet you're doing this are you? oh sweet take over and then i'm there just doing the exercise for him so just little things like that you gotta yeah. tap to i think well funny on that same point yeah i'd been uh while i was on prac actually so i was still a student at this point uh and at this stage i don't think i'd ever come across at least in a clinical setting uh, a, a client or a person with autism or not really had to uh, work with them in a professional sense, certainly. Yeah. And while I was working with this client, uh, the fire alarm went off. Jeez. And I had no idea about like the sensory sort of input and the way that that might affect somebody with autism. And I was completely uh, taken off guard, I suppose, at the reaction that right. was had by this client. And granted, she was relatively fine for the most part but i could not get through a session she basically just covered her ears and just uh stood there like so or sat there like so mm-hmm. on a leg extension machine mm-hmm. and wait for the alarm to end which as you can imagine in a fire <laughs> drill took a little while <laughs> and i'm sitting there with my tail between my legs because you know i'm essentially trying to prove to myself Yep. That I'm a good EP at you this stage. Like this, I'm just about you know? to enter the real world. Yep. And yeah, I literally have no control. And I think that is, I don't want to skip too far to the, you know, I suppose the takeaway points when it comes to being an, ET, uh, an EP and working yep. with somebody with autism. Yep. But a lot of the time you do need to, I suppose, drop your professional ego aside and understand that in a lot of ways you don't really have full control over how somebody might react. And yep. of course that's in the context of any client regardless of whether or not they have autism or not Uh, but in autism especially like I have had a lot of learning curves Mm. because 
people are so different. We spoke before about, you know, these individual spectrums and where somebody sits overall. Um, you can make the error of treating one client like another and yeah. it can go horribly yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. And I, I did say that I would cut back to this and that is, you know, again, an error that I made, which was only, it only became evident to me that I'd made an error after I was given some feedback again from somebody who was close to the client. And with this client, uh, we had, we'd had, you know, really successful lessons beforehand. And we had like, I was about to say bartered, bartered. We didn't barter for any money. Uh, we weren't selling things. We, there was some very like light banter with respect to, it was in reference to Mario Kart. Uh, oh, which, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And plenty of banter around Mario Kart, man. Yeah, and I actually hadn't realized before, but I suppose when I look back on the entire progression of my, uh, you know, work with this client mm -hmm. is that he more than likely initiated all of that banter prior to. And then there was one particular lesson where I initiated the banter um, and slightly out of context. So it was in a race context. I was trying to get uh, the client to maybe pick up the speed of their activity. Mm, yeah. So I sort of tried to challenge them uh, as if it were a race. Yeah, right. And when the client declined, I sort of used the same banter that we'd used uh, talking about Mario Kart and beating him in Mario Kart. Yeah. And it did not go down well. Yeah, and right. I had no idea until... Like, I could tell that at some point something shifted, but even then, mm. because what I said and how I meant it was so playful, mm. it didn't dawn on me until, you know, literally after the session had finished that that was where I'd made the error. Right. And okay. this is... A, because it's a, it's a serious thing for him? Is right. So to, uh, to the client, to the it was client. essentially taken as, like, a, a jibe. It was, uh, it was not a playful bit of banter. It yep. was a verbal attack, right. I suppose. And yeah, I yeah, can yeah. say here, hand on heart, that yeah. I, it was not that at all. And the tone of my voice uh, to somebody that is neurotypical, it would not have been, uh, I think, misconstrued Taken in that, that way. Yeah, okay. But that is an That's example of how... And yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a huge learning curve. It's like what words mean. It's like yes. you, your wor what you say, it's like reading a text. There's no... That's what kind of what it might be like for that client. It's just seeing subtitles on a blank screen, you know, and then they have to interpret it as they can. So that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that was that's well said because mm. I I think of um, another client as well. Thankfully, nothing ever. I didn't make any errors with this client in particular, but it was probably one of the earlier, uh, one of my early introductions to autism, and. I was actually given, I suppose, not necessarily a warning, that's not the right word, but I was told prior to seeing this client that he, the dialogue that you would have with him, you would tell quite quickly that it almost seemed as if it was rote learned. Um, mm. So the way that he would respond to a particular question, whether it was, how's your day, how are you, it... it Ne didn't necessarily seem like it was a genuine response to my question. It was, this is how you respond to that particular oh, question. Right. Yeah, okay. And I would say that this person, probably in the area of you know being able to communicate effectively, uh, on that area was probably on one end of the spectrum. The spectrum, yeah. Yeah, of that spectrum. And, you know, this was the same, uh, you know, in the same alignment where he wasn't necessarily able to maintain eye contact with me very mm -hmm. well. Yeah. But yeah, having right. heard that previously as like, a look, this is what you might notice about this client. Mm -hmm. And then seeing that mm -hmm. uh, was a pretty 
surreal experience as an EP getting to know the condition of autism. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, to me, listening to that now, I'm starting to think back a lot more and starting to think about how I've actually interacted. Because the amount of things... I'm such a gesture-heavy person and uh, inflection of my voice person. And, you know, I'll... Yeah, you know, obviously I'm, I and I love to joke around in sessions as well. So, yeah, it's I'm just trying to trying to think back if I've actually done something like that and it's just not <laughs> yeah. even noticed. You know, something along those lines. But that's really interesting, Aja. Yeah, well, I mean, how do you think that that is reflected in Wendy? I mean, like, I was just mm. trying to think about it then and think back to the movie, uh, with respect to the way that she, yeah, has conversations in the film. It doesn't necessarily seem like she's just like spitting out a learned response to questions, but if from memory, like some of her speech is to an extent somewhat no, robotic, I, maybe I think is that the right word? I think it definitely is. It's it's her speech is because she writes down everything in a notebook as well. She writes down, say, there's a bit that says you need money to buy a ticket, so she wrote that down you need money to buy a ticket in the book. And then when she went up to buy a ticket at a later point, she said, you need money to buy a bus ticket. And then the bus person says, yes, you do. It's this much money. And then she starts to hand over the money. So it do- I understand where you're coming from in terms of that. She's That's her on the ropes learning type um, re- mechanism of writing it in the book. And then using this, being in the same situation, or I'm at a place where it sells tickets, I'm going to read what's on the thing. Yeah. And then it's this This will happen, whatever yeah. this is. You know, they don't really know what's going to, the interaction is, and that would be quite scary as well. Yeah, 100%. And, but in that instance as well, I mean, it's, you know, when you're looking at Wendy, um, her goal is, uh, is to buy a bus ticket. Yep. And her method of doing it, while very unconventional when you, you know, when you compare it to say Harry or I, mm. it is successful. Mm. So uh, Wendy, yeah. as a character, has essentially learned her best way to go about uh, tackling some of these, you know, interactions. Interactions, interactions yep. yeah. Um, she has a way of going about it, yeah, and it's successful, albeit a little bit unconventional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, the person that she's talking to always seems to have a funny look on their face. You know, where where have you come from? Where's your mother or something like that? Yeah. You know, that's the kind of look that this person's... Or, like, or a sus look, like a suspect. Like, are you going to rob me here or something yeah, like that? On? Yeah, like, yeah, it definitely seems to be the normal response of a lot of people that she talks to. Yeah. I mean, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, even not really having experienced that, you know, low-functioning autism all that much in my life. Uh, mm. From what I do know of it, it seemed as if Dakota Fanning did a pretty reasonable job of hitting the the higher end of what autism can be. Yeah, I mean, definitely in the... Even in, like, the obsessive-compulsive type or the... Um, what was this, that particular spec? spectrum uh is that like you specific know, this, uh, like the sustained knowledge. interest or yeah. yeah like so a lot of Just people will lock on to one particular yeah because the whole movie is about her her ability to actually relate to star trek through one of the characters because one of the characters finds it hard to read human emotions so 
when you make that kind of that connection in the movie, you can see why she just is obsessed with this universe because there's someone on TV who feels she she could really relate to no one in her life. She could feel like that and that'd be so, you know, lonesome. You, make, you get very lonely like that but having this one character to relate to obviously might pull them towards that hyper-focused um, yeah. part of the spectrum as well. That's That was uh, that was really well said. I think also like from a reputa- uh, representation standpoint to see somebody in, in film which I think is almost like uh, mm. in a uh, coming full circle kind of way mm. something that we discuss here is that representation of disability in film and obviously Dakota Fanning doesn't have uh, no. autism no but her character like you just said has I suppose an affinity for this other character on account of the fact that they share some uh, personality traits yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's a uh, another thing to be mentioned on the strain of the family relationships because you know we talked about it before her sisters has just had a baby and she wants to be part of that family dynamic and you know her mother uh, their mother had died so now she's kind of her sister can't look after her anymore because she's having a baby with her husband and wants to you know move forwards with that part of her life and uh wendy is living in the assisted living space which is a good space it, lo- it looks like a good place for her to be yeah. living it definitely doesn't isn't portrayed as a prison or anything like that um but it's the strains that these things can have on families and in the and that's definitely true in my experience as well where you know parents or mothers of the client that i'm working with are so fully focused on that child all the time and you can see like a weight get lifted off their shoulder when they kind of just go here you go here's yeah this person for an hour you you guys know each other well enough now that i can step out of the room and you know they can go okay what what else do i have to do for the day and they have that hour long space you know where they can actually do focus on something else yeah like 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 their other kids yeah like um, yeah right yeah right right because right. i think you know it's a good point. Being especially a younger sibling of somebody that has autism, I mean, you look at your older siblings always as somewhat of a role model, especially at a young age. Mm. And, you know, I, in my experience, you can see sometimes within families uh, that difficulty that is trying to maintain, um, I suppose, a normal standard of behavior when you can't necessarily enforce things the same way. Um, because yeah. you're not necessarily, you're right. again, you're not uh, working with what is uh, neurally typical. Typical, yeah. Yes. And that's such a hard point because, you know, you hear all the time, you know, you'd say to your mum, who's your favourite mum? And, you know, no, I treat all of you the same. You're all my children, you know? Yeah. And when it, when it would come to someone with a sibling with uh, a disability, like autism, it would be very difficult for that child who doesn't have autism as well or it could be very difficult i don't know for them to 
adjust and understand that relationship between the mother and their sibling and the mother and them is going to be different. Yeah, especially when you're not old enough to even understand that there can be a discrepancy there and yeah, exactly why right. there is a discrepancy. Yeah, yeah, and it takes it'll take plenty of time for me to understand that so I can understand other people having issues with that, you know, if you're a child. Yeah, well, I've spoken previously as well about something that can be a little bit awkward as an EP uh, and working with especially children. And that is that we have, you know, more than one responsibility when it comes to working with the client, uh, especially a child. Like number one, safety, obviously. Let's get that one out of the way. But we have clinical goals that we obviously want to try and meet. Mm -hmm. But we also can't compromise um, the work that a parent does when it comes to trying to maintain behavioral standards. Yeah, you're right. We, uh, I suppose, can consider ourselves lucky in some sense that after 60 minutes we go home. So even when we have a bad session, and I'm not saying that we're likely to only deal with these kids for 60 minutes at a time, but if you were to ever have a bad session at 60 minutes, you go home and you reassess. Recalibrate. Yeah, you recalibrate and you can basically ease yourself of, you know, what can be a stressful situation. And, but as Harry just said, sometimes it's nice for the parents to go here, here you go for 60 minutes. Mm. We inevitably give them right back and sometimes because we're going on our own learning curve and trying to understand uh, especially new clients we don't always give them back uh better off Mm. i think you know Mm. if we like i said i've made you know silly comments before or i've done silly things that i wasn't consciously doing but that would undoubtedly have upset the client and that will undoubtedly have a ripple effect uh when the the rest of their day type thing as well and you know that responsibility is Trying not to, number one, you know, upset or deter the client's motivation to, you know, Be sustain there you. an exercise environment, yeah. yep. but also not allowing, uh, you know, certain behaviors just to fly by on account of the fact that you're trying to get through your goals because you will very much then, mm. uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? You will take away compromise. from what a parent... Yeah, you'll compromise yeah. what a parent is doing full-time just so you can get through 60 minutes. And that in itself is extremely selfish. Yeah, So we have to, you know, find this middle ground. And we're not parents, so we haven't, yeah, got, any, right. uh, we haven't yeah. got our own dummies to work on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, saying that as well, I must say that every client that I've worked with who has autism... I've had a very good relationship with their carers or their parents. So that's a good point actually. Yeah. Because they are they are the number one source to help you not detriment the Yeah, or the just session. To understand the client. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to know as much about that person as possible and you got to try and just cruise through it at the beginning and just learn about each other as much as possible and then you can be effective that's exactly right and then you gotta yeah always you know always put your thinking hat on every time you go into that session as well because you know one little thing that you say as you said before that could be the difference between them just not wanting to do the session anymore yes so or not wanting to be active anymore you don't know how you're going to affect them so yeah yeah, actually, you made such a good point there right at the start of that where you were talking about, um, you know, basically learning from the parents and trying to understand, 
um, you know, you know who the client is. So you, you're not necessarily going into it blind. And I have no experience with this. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a GP. So I've never made a diagnosis of, of autism. Mm. But I do remember reading somewhere that one of the difficulties that is, um, I suppose, paramount when it comes to, you know, an autism diagnosis is that GPs and psychologists have to work a lot off the feedback that they're getting from these parents mm. because... Otherwise, they're essentially going off what is a 30 or 60 minute consultation. And that is not always a lot of time to make a diagnosis that somebody will live with for the rest of their life. Yeah. Or a good rep representation of the rest of the day, you know. Yeah. Why not? You can have a good hour and you can have a bad hour. So. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then, so that's not to say that, you know, there's you know, a whole bunch of incorrect diagnoses mm. going around. Mm. It's to highlight how important, important. parents yeah. are. Uh, or caregivers in the sense of understanding mm. the client. And then as EPs, you need to be very, use that, use that relationship as much as possible so that you can take over and so that the parent can have that hour off and rest and do whatever, send emails or work or whatever they need to do for that hour. So, yeah. Wendy has a dog, a little dog that she loves throughout the um you know take it's kind of like a uh a substitute for maybe caring for a child throughout the movie i think oh uh, yeah in a way but that kind of got me thinking about companion dogs have you had any clients with companion dogs or anything like that before guide dogs or i have had one but the companion dog was never necessary at our session so i knew that this client was actually i take that back the the companion dog was uh never um around during one of our sessions but there was a particular session where um and I'm, this particular client uh was very concerned with being in control and mm. we spoke before about our responsibilities as EPs. One of them is not allowing, you know, you know, and not undoing the good work of a parent. Yep. And part of that is not allowing, you know, just any client or any child to get away with murder. Yeah. Um, and it's a really difficult thing because sometimes when you're trying to play that authority figure, yep. you're towing a fine line. Okay. But you're towing Constantly. it either way because you're yeah. either going to allow these bad behaviours to continue, in which case the like, kids are smart enough to know that they'll get away with it forever then. Yeah, yeah. Um, or you sort of have to try and moderate the way you go about it, but you try mm. and moderate the session yep. um, and, and you know a particular example is essentially this client who was a young boy was very much always trying to be in control of the session um, and did and he have a dog he had a companion oh, dog okay, yeah, so yeah. He, the companion dog never came to our sessions it wasn't necessarily uh, necessary yeah right. but at, at one stage you know when a session went a little bit haywire on account of not necessarily anything that I'd done wrong as an EP, but mm -hmm. just, I suppose, a natural response to the situation itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then the mother brought in the companion dog and it was this really cool thing. Uh, the companion dog, what he would do is he sits on the client's lap and pushes down. And it helped to just calm the child because then any sort of like physical manifestation of what you would, uh, you know, an emotional episode. I'm not sure mm. how else you yeah, can yeah. really describe it. it. 
it will sort of help calm the client. So I'm not sure if every companion dog is, uh, works in the same way. Mm. Um, but I know in this instance or in my experience, that is how the companion dog was used, at least in one aspect. And it was really, really cool to see that firsthand. Definitely seems like one of the most important jobs of a companion dog is that particular thing. Young child with autism having trouble with filtering or understanding or comprehending emotion and the dog being able to just level him back out. I think that's amazing because a lot of the times I've seen companion dogs, they're very useful, but not as potently as that, I think. Is that the right word? Or like, it's not as effective, you know? It doesn't look like they're actually doing anything. It's just they're in the room and the person is now just generally calmer. Gotcha. Because the dog's in the room. Right. So I've had a couple little uh, couple little dogs in my sessions before and they'll just sit on the ground next to us and I'll pat him because he's not working or anything <laughs> like that. So I'm definitely patting that dog. Um, but, you know, and there's ones that will come to come with me to gyms and things like that. Other dogs... Um, I've had a little bit to do with guide dogs as well for vision impairment and they've all got like a very specific reason why they're with that person. But that one in particular that you talked about was very cool. Yeah. Being able to bring him back down to earth a little bit, I yeah, guess. Yeah, well, they do have a few roles. I mean, like I again, I don't know too much about it, but I also remember hearing that like one of the roles of the companion dog was to like walk out in front of the client and sort of shift left and right and what that was for was to provide some space for the client so even in a crowd you're never too uh like i suppose taken up by the crowd itself so yeah there's i'm sure that there are plenty of roles um that these dogs serve yeah yeah amazing i know two of them actually (laughs) actually actually just saying that i just remembered a client of mine uh has a seizure seizure smelling dog so really when they start to sweat the scent is different that comes out of the paws. The dog detects that smell and starts barking, alerts the client so they can get in a position where they can have a spasm without hurting themselves. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that is... That's interesting. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah that's that's crazy, cool. yeah. yeah. Alrighty, so I guess to wrap things up, what did you think generally just about Wendy's uh, representation of autism... And yeah, well, I mean, like I said, I thought that, you know, it was a pretty decent representation, but at the same time, um, I'm speaking from a level of experience where I haven't really had to work all that often with somebody at that level. Yeah. Um, so I, the manifestations that I saw were certainly like, uh, I suppose more, um, evident than what textbooky. Yeah, then yeah. what I then what I know of it. Um, yeah. If I can take anything away, not necessarily from the movie itself, but if I can give anything, uh, and I think we've mentioned this previously, is that you know the way that autism manifests is so different from person to person Variable, that yeah. yes, there are certainly signs that you or like consistencies that you see among autism, mm-hmm. um, but you are running a gauntlet if you think that you can treat two people the same way. I mean, hmm. I think it's more important than ever than with autism than to sound it out before you say it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, that's great. To be honest, I thought that uh, Wendy definitely showed the textbook examples of some things I've noticed, but 
yeah, everyone's different. Who knows how she'd go in an exercise session, you know? I don't know if she'd, it would be she'd actually follow, yeah. follow any kind of guidelines or, you know, or parameters that you set for her. But, you know, be interesting. Yeah, yeah cool. Cool. Alrighty, well, uh, thanks for joining us again. This has been Be Real, a podcast from Be Physiology. I'm Harry. I am AJ. And have a good one. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. I feel like I'm more aware now. Ha, ha, ha.